Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week, we are talking to two-time Emmy-nominated producer and director and a former Friends Seminary starting point guard. Uh, His recent credits include Free Meek, we're going to talk to him about that, and Show Out, which is executive produced by LeBron James. It's coming out in early 2023. But what we're going to talk to him about primarily is that he is putting forward an expose about brain injuries and the NFL for Al Jazeera English. It's amazing. It's called Blood Sports, and his name is Isaac Solitaroff. Isaac, how you doing? Welcome to the Edge of Sports podcast. Good, Dave. How are you? I'm doing well. Congratulations on Blood Sport, man. It's Thank very you. powerful. Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, first and foremost, uh, Isaac, it's great to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Yeah, let's just run through very quickly uh, some of your recent credits, just because I think they might intrigue people. If you could just give the thumbnail, what was Free Meek about? So Meek Mill was a documentary series about the rapper activist Meek Mill, who was wrongfully convicted of uh, um, pulling a gun on a police officer, which if you're a black man in Philadelphia, everyone knows that a black man that pulled a gun on a police officer does not live to tell the tale. Um, But Meek not only lived to tell the tale, but uh, was imprisoned for it and then on probation for it for uh, 10, 11 years. And what we were able to do was find a whistleblower officer who said that uh, Meek was set up, that Meek, in fact, did not pull a, co- a gun on a police officer, and that this was actually a staged robbery by this, narco- this narcotics unit in Philadelphia. So we were basically able to marry the true crime genre with uh, the sort of celebrity of Meek Mill. Um, and do a five-part series about the criminal justice system, which you know Meek has really been a champion of um, yeah, uh, since his since, since he got out of prison. Yeah, yeah, reforming it absolutely. And and real quick, what what show out? You know, very intriguing. Executive produced by LeBron James, coming out in early 2023. Tell us what sure. show out's about. Dave, as a fellow New Yorker, I think you'll love the story. There is a whole underworld of street football in New York. Um, this was these were leagues that started in the '70s and '80s, uh, sort of at the high, as crack uh, sort of uh, made its way into this underground economy. And so it started out kind of like NASCAR did. You know, its roots are in bootlegging. This the bootleg the the origins of of these underground street football leagues are in uh, sort of dark money, drug money uh, uh, economies in, in inner city New York. And these guys form football teams, not all that different from what happened at Rucker, you know, like these where they had basketball teams, these were football teams that would play each other for, um, you know, pretty high stakes. Uh, and it continues to this day, although it's kind of moved beyond uh, its origins. And we assembled the best street football teams from across New York, uh, and then actually invited teams from Philadelphia and Baltimore as well uh, to play uh, what we call the street ball um, and uh, crown the best street football team in America. Um, so this is a, a, a series I did in 2015 for uh, Vice and then uh, LeBron and uh, Spring Hill and Uninterrupted came on and we did it as a, a more sort of developed series uh, in the last year. Fantastic. So thank you. Um, going going to Bloodsport, 
the issues of concussions, race norming, the National Football League are issues that we've dealt with on this show quite a bit. So uh, feel free to pitch this at a high level for us. Um, Great. About Bloodsport, what it's about, and some of the people that you tell this story through. Bloodsport is the story of Carlton Hasselrig, who um, is kind of exhibit A of uh, the race norming scandal. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming that your listeners have a working understanding of what race norming is. It's basically the presumption that that black players started with a lower uh, cognitive uh, aptitude, i.e. intelligence, than their white counterparts. And so therefore had to score at really low levels to qualify for money from the NFL concussion settlement. And uh, Carlton was clearly a player who was suffering from massive cognitive impairment, um, all the sort of telltale uh, symptoms of CTE, and was unable to get any money or compensation from the NFL. Um, And so what we were able to do was basically say, okay, let's assume Carlton was white. And we take, we, we took his neuropsych exam um, that his his uh, widow Michelle made available to us, and said, um, Eric Watson, who you know this independent neuropsychologist, what would uh, Carlton's scores have been if he were white? If you took race, if you took his, the fact that his blackness out of the equation, how would he have been scored? And it turns out that Carlton would have had a level of cognitive impairment that would have entitled him to up to a million dollars. He was robbed of this money, and his widow because he was black. Now, the NFL a year ago said that they would no longer race norm uh, players trying to qualify for money uh, through the concussion settlement. And more importantly, they would go back and uh, reevaluate all players who were race normed. To this date, David, a year later, 51 players have now qualified for a cash award out of the thousands that were race normed by the NFL. So this is sort of the classic NFL playbook of slow walking any kind of uh, justice here for these guys. Um, And Michelle has been basically left uh, bankrupt by her husband's death. Michelle is Carlton's wife. And she depended, they depended on Carlton's uh, pension from the NFL, which he earned after playing five seasons in the NFL. And that money that came in every year, uh, e- every month, supported them, kept the roof over their head. When he died, those checks got cut off immediately. And uh, so she has uh, she has a, a small business that she's trying to run herself. She's trying to get off the ground. But basically, this woman has been left without her breadwinner um, and without the compensation that should have been paid to him for the uh, neurocognitive impairment that ultimately led to his, you know, much too premature uh, death. Mm. What did you learn about this topic that you did not know going in? So I've been doing this. I, I've been telling stories about uh, retired NFL players for about ten years. Um, I did a series uh, ten years ago about a clinic in New Jersey that provided free medical services for retired NFL players uh, who were like living in the grips of. Um, neurocognitive you know, CTE, uh, you know, crippling orthopedic pain, addiction. What I had never seen before, David, that I saw in this, that I saw in making this film, is what CTE looks like firsthand. Because Michelle, Carlton's widow, started documenting 
the last months of Carlton's life and you see the disorientation, confusion, paranoia, rage, all of the sort of mood behavior, all, all of the things that people tell you are symptoms of CTE, she documented and we were able to incorporate into this documentary. So I think one thing that this documentary does is, is show people what CTE looks like in the most sort of firsthand intimate way that you, you, I, I don't, I, I've never seen before. Um, and unfortunately I, I, I consume a fair amount of, of, of uh, the stories around, um, you know, brain injuries in the NFL. I've never quite seen what it looks like um, for the, for these incredible women um, who are the caretakers for these men uh, in the last days of their lives. Mm. Uh, were you ever a football fan, Isaac? Um, and are you, can you now watch the game? And it's, it's, it's more challenging. It's more challenging. So I'm married to a, a Midwestern Catholic who's a, a huge Notre Dame fan. So there's a lot of college football in the house, but you know, it's look these guys and that this is kind of a, a wildly underreported story as well is the amount of CTE among college football players. Um, and uh, so I watch football to the extent, David, that uh, I'm an American. It's kind of been injected into my bloodstream. Um, I get invited to parties uh, to watch football. I get invited to Super Bowl parties. Um, it, I find it more and more challenging. Um, and, you know, the moment that I sort of allow myself to just enjoy the incredible entertainment that football is, because it is an extraordinary package that the NFL is, has constructed. Um, there will be something that I see that just makes me look away and say, you know, you got to, th this is, you know, you don't want to spoil everyone else's fun. And that's one of the challenges too, David. I, I don't know if you've had this issue too, just, you know, in, in distributing your, your wonderful film, you know, about, about the NFL is that this is people's escape yeah. week in and week out. Uh, this is, they do not want the cruel realities of what this sport entails to interfere in their enjoyment and their entertainment, because this is an escape from people's daily grind. And uh, so I do find that that, um, you know, it, it's difficult to rain on people's entertainment. Um, but I also have seared in my mind and, you know, the memories of so many of these widows and women who are valiantly battling the NFL and these guys who still have what limited capacity they have to try to get the compensation they deserve. Um, they become friends um, and they are very much seared into my, my brain. Um, and so obviously that has really tempered my uh, enjoyment of the game. Yeah, I mean, if if someone saw this film and walked away from it saying it is actually immoral to consume this product based upon what I've seen, would you feel like the film did its job? I would, I would. But David, I, I'm not going to tell, I, I, I'm not on a crusade to end football. Um, I am on a crusade to make sure that there is justice for the men who play the game and whose sacrifices 
are made in the name of entertaining American audiences, I guess, and global audiences as well. There is, I think, an understanding at this point, and I'd love to get jump to this too, David, at some point, what uh, Ken Belson reported this week about uh, the fact that they're very close to being able to diagnose CTE in, in living brains. The Belson story is huge, and I'd love your thoughts about it because I've always been of the opinion, and, me, and I'd love for you to say if you, if you think I'm wrong, because I'm starting to think I'm wrong. I, I've always been of the opinion that that would be a profound game changer. Like if they can detect CTE in junior high kids who'd been doing the, the tots ball or whatever it's called. Yep. Um, if they high school, you know, college, yep, now you can't be drafted by the NFL because you have advanced CTE. Um, I see it as being this huge game changer. Uh, do, do you agree, do you agree with that? Or I totally agree. I totally agree. I, I think the moment that you can see CTE in Josh Allen's brain, in Patrick Mahomes brain, more likely it's going to be the, the guys on the line of scrimmage, but you, you know, um, Kenny Stabler, I mean, there are a number of quarterbacks who died with CTE, right? So, the guys who are in your fantasy league who now have to make a decision whether or not or whether you're going to continue drafting them to play in your fantasy on your fantasy team, knowing that these guys have seen. I mean, once we're confronted with the reality that these guys have very grim futures and you can see it, you can see the da- the tau deposits on the brain because we now have brain scans that can detect that in living brain tissue. I do think that's a game changer. Mm. Yeah, agreed with you about that. Um, you know, you're dealing with the issue of of, of women of uh, women who are providing support to men with CTE. Do you see any connective tissue between CTE and another issue that the NFL has dealt with or or mishandled profoundly, and that's the issue of uh, the intersection of football and violence against women? Boy. I can't speak on that, Dave. I'll just say one thing about it. I found it compelling. Uh, And I've interviewed a lot of uh, these women also. And when when they tell the stories about the eyes going blank and not being the same person that they were, those are very chilling. Of course, CTE is not, as we know, and I'm not suggesting this, you don't need CTE to be violent towards women and you can have CTE and not be that way at all. So there's no one-to-one correlation, but when I hear about that, the, the blankness and the changes and yeah. acting out and the temper, it's, it's hard not to feel like these things are at least some way connected. Correlated, correlated, correlated. absolutely. Correlated. Yep. Um, so in blood sport, you see it. Yeah. You see, you see the rage. He is he is a shell of a man when you see it, but he's screaming at his wife. He's he's swinging violently. He's in this crazy manic fit. Um, Dave, I know you've heard it from women who've been abused by guys uh, who are former or, or current or former NFL players. That there is a switch that gets flipped, and who knows what what precipitates it. But they are, um, their souls are stolen from them. Um, they become, this disease is so effing cruel. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, look, 
football is a violent sport. Um, it's not crazy that there would be, you know, a higher correlation between football players and um, sort of abhorrent violence. But you factor in the brain damage and the lack, you know, the, 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 the way in which CTE attacks the frontal lobe and impulse control and judgment and robs these men of their humanity because I've had that described to me and I've seen it now, you know, with what Michelle filmed. Um, these were, you know, incredible, you know, you'll hear these stories of these men who were just the most kind of loyal, family oriented human beings who suddenly become, you know, I, uh, these impulsive gamblers and, um, uh, they're suddenly taking up with like, you know, teenagers and like, and, and it's just, it's like these wives, like, I don't recognize, you hear this over and over again, Dave, I don't recognize him. I don't know who he is. I don't know what he became. Um, yeah. Um, and, uh, it is such, this is such, this is just, you know, there's no disease quite like it because it ha it afflicts men at such an, uh, at such a young age. Um, you know, in reporting the story, I, I talked to the wives of men in their thirties. I talked to guys in their thirties who were battling this shit, you know, um, Philip Adams, Dave, Philip Adams. How old was Philip Adams? The, you know, by all accounts, the most mild mannered guy, 32, 33 years old, whatever he is, suddenly becomes the psychopathic mass murderer who murders children. He was the father of a young child who apparently he was incredibly devoted to. And, and you know, Philip had advanced CTE when, when, they, when they did the uh, autopsy. Um, that is what this disease does. It, it, it absolutely transforms these men. Wow. I mean, the, the, I'll tell you, the film does justice to the struggles of these people. Thank you. And it, it really does. And that, that's, that's not an easy thing to do by any stretch, given, the, given the enormity of the emotion that they have to shoulder. Uh, your, your film really does match that. So how can people watch Bloodsport? And maybe you could say some of your partners in this project to give them. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so Al Jazeera, uh, Al Jazeera is my partner. Um, as you can imagine, it is really difficult, Dave, and I'm sure you encountered this as well, to find partners in the media world that are prepared to do a film that is hard hitting about the NFL because everybody is in business with the NFL. Right. I mean, it is almost impossible to find a studio, <laughs> media outlet, media company that is prepared to take on the NFL. Absolutely. Um, but Al Jazeera uh, does not have any um, contractual business with the NFL. Um, and uh, and they were they were extraordinary partners. So I worked with the show called Fault Lines, which is uh, their investigative documentary program about uh, stories in the United States. And uh, I worked with a wonderful correspondent named Josh Rushing. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, Josh is, ex is extraordinary. Um, and, uh, you know, brought, what was great about working with Josh as well is that he is a kid who grew up playing football in Texas um, and is still addicted to the game. 
um, and not afraid to admit it. And so one thing that we weren't able to include in the film was his kind of back and forth with people about the question you asked me, do you still watch? He asked the people we were interviewing, do you still watch? And watching them sort of trying to, you know, reconcile because um, it is kind of amazing how people, knowing what they know, continue to consume the sport. Um, so a uh, big shout out to, to Al Jazeera for supporting this project. Um, you can watch it on, uh, at, if, you, if you Google Bloodsport and Fault Lines or uh, Fault Lines Al Jazeera, um, you'll be able to watch it. Yeah, and, and I can say Fault Lines is a, an award-laden industry on the media landscape, does some of the best work out there. So that, 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 that's amazing that, you know, you partnering with them. That's, that's just yeah. fantastic. Um, Extremely fortunate. It's great stuff. Now, Isaac, you've been a terrific guest. I mean, we can't talk about these issues enough and I can't tell you how much I thought Bloodsport really just hit the bullseye. But something we always ask people when they are involved in projects like this is what kind of music they were listening to during the process. Oh my, uh, are you serious? Oh yeah, we ask every guest this. Uh, I wish I'd known this. Oh, I know it's better off the top of the head though. So it, yeah, and and I'll just I'll just blather while you think for a second. No, like, I, I know what music. it is. Oh, you're good already. Okay. <laughs> no, no, but tell me. No, I, oh, I was going to say it could be music that you listen to to chill after work, music during, music while you were jogging in the morning, thinking about it, just whatever music uh, got you jazzed. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a hip hop head, Dave. I mean. You know, even in my advanced age, um, but uh, I listen to Big Red Machine. Do you know who they are? Heard of? Have not heard. So it's uh, uh, it's um, a collaboration with Bon Iver and the guy from the National, mm. and it is incredibly. Um, melancholy kind of soulful stuff um and it was yeah i i you know this was heavy material that we were dealing with um and uh so it was it was it was you know kind of um again melancholy reflective music but uh yeah and i had never listened to them before um, interestingly, they just did a collaboration with Taylor Swift. So like suddenly mm. like, you know, they have a bunch of, but, uh, big red machine. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we're, we're yeah. going to check them out. Um, okay. I, I looked them up while you were, uh, talking Aaron Dessner and Justin Vernon. There you go. And I love that they're named after the Cincinnati red steams of the 1970s. Which even, which, which I'm sure we, I'm, I'm surprised you remember, but I definitely remember. Oh, I mean, I'm just like a baseball nut. So, no. okay. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, well, any decade, let's go there. Um, yeah. But, but, yeah, Isaac Solitaroff, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you being on the pod. I hope you come back sometime. Thanks, Dave. Really appreciate it, bro. Cool. Be well. We'll be back after you a quick too. word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. We'll be back right after this, but first, a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. 
This is what you gotta read. It's The Nation magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe. And please never forget that when you support The Nation magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now I've got some choice words. Okay, look, the Brooklyn Nets have decided that Kyrie Irving is, quote-unquote, not fit to associate with their team for five games because he posted a virulently anti-Jewish bigoted video called Hebrews to Negroes. Now, following Kyrie Irving's apology on Instagram, the team laid out a set of conditions for him to return that seemed designed to ensure that if he refuses... It could mean the end of his career. Now, I spoke last week about the politics of the film and most importantly, the white supremacist forces celebrating Kyrie. But suffice it to say, just a quick word on that, uh, seeing the film which denies the Holocaust and claims that Jews worship Satan atop Amazon's charts has Nazi message boards and a tizzy of joy. It's like a giggling popularity contest between boosters of Elon, Tucker, Yay and Kyrie. Now, whether Kyrie believes the mythologies presented in Hebrews to Negroes is one issue, but his inability to disavow his fascist cheering section is distressing. Even more disturbing is that neither the Nets nor the NBA have pressed him on this point in particular. Their silence on the broader political implications of the film's new popularity has created a dynamic where the Nets and the league seem primarily concerned with the hurt feelings of their Jewish fan base, not addressing the political climate of white supremacist rage, which is precisely what makes the film's ideas so dangerous. They will not address the climate because they would then have to address their own complicity in the creation of this climate. I know we all think of the NBA as this, you know, happy liberal fantasy land, but they are complicit in the state of this country's politics right now. And if they wanted to address that, they would have to address why they are fine with the DeVos family, which owns the Orlando Magic, bankrolling groups on the Christian right, including the work of the fascistic Blackwater founder, Eric Prince, whose sister, of course, was Betsy DeVos, or is Betsy DeVos, the education secretary under Trump. The NBA would have to address why 81% of the political money spent by franchise owners flowed to the GOP in 2020, not 2016, 2020, with several sending small fortunes directly to the bigot-in-chief himself, Donald Trump. Now, Trump has done more to whip up hatred against oppressed groups, including American-born Jews, than Kyrie could do in a thousand lifetimes. Yet the league will provide home for a right-wing union-busting billionaire like the Trump-loving Tillman Fertitta of the Houston Rockets. Then there's the Nets billionaire owner Joseph Tsai, co-founder of the company Alibaba, which according to an ESPN report, financially supported the cultural genocide of Uyghur Muslims. Tsai insisted on meeting with Irving to educate him about the perils of anti-Semitism, And for some reason, Psy is fit to associate with the Brooklyn Nets, just to be clear about that. But one of the things that Kyrie also has to do to get back in the league is ask forgiveness, basically, from the Anti-Defamation League. 
as if the Anti-Defamation League is the spokespeople for Jews writ large. I mean, the ADL, it's presented in the press as if it's the Jewish version of the NAACP, but it has its own history of attacks against black leaders and virulent anti-Palestinian bigotry and attacks on Jews who take part in anti-racist struggle. Now, none of this is to give Kyrie a pass. I don't believe in whataboutism, where the sins of one are absolved by the sins of their enemies. But it is to point out that those standing in judgment of Kyrie Irving are some of the worst actors in our politics. And that's why I oppose the fines and suspensions against Kyrie. All they do is turn him into a martyr and make the film that much more attractive to the fascist curious. Adam Silver and the league have also now drawn a line that means NBA athletes, who've been encouraged over the last decade to speak their minds, must now watch what they say or face consequences for what they post. Many people are reading it to mean there is free speech for black athletes, but only as long as people in power can abide the beliefs being expressed. This is causing fans, tragically in my view, to equate Kyrie with the great athlete activists of decades past. He hasn't shown that courage or earned that distinction, but the more he is punished, the more people will think that shoe fits. Again, that's a tragedy, but it would be one of the NBA's making. So then what do you do? Look, the only way to fight against anti-Jewish bigotry is by linking it to broader fights against racism and oppression. And this won't happen by making Kyrie a martyr. The only way we can make those links is to both condemn this video while also condemning the anti-black racism of the response, not to mention the anti-black racism that constantly goes ignored. When Israeli ambassador to the United Nations, Jilad Erdan, expressed joy that Kyrie was, quote, put in his place, end quote, that is anti-black racism and it should be condemned. Look, Kanye West clearly has no interest, either financial or political, in a mass movement against all forms of oppression. Floyd Mayweather, another Kyrie supporter, is a serial abuser of women, not a fighter for anyone's liberation. Our ability to come together will mean saying that we are against anti-Semitism and all forms of racism, that if we condemn Kyrie's actions, we also condemn the actions of the hypocrites swirling around him. This might sound pie in the sky, don't suspend Kyrie, but build a movement to confront all racist and bigoted ideas. But it's the best choice among the awful alternatives and the only one that provides hope that we can emerge from this darkness. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it, but we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. Now's the time for the part of the show that we call the Just Stand Up Awards, where we applaud players who just stand up and tisk tisk players who should just sit down. This is going to be an interesting one. The Just Stand Up Award this week stand up. goes to Jalen Brown, 
uh, forward for the Boston Celtics. He's also the National Basketball Players Association vice president. And he recently called out the Brooklyn Nets owner, Joe Tsai, over the Kyrie Irving suspension. He was going after that thing that Tsai said that Irving, quote unquote, still has work to do. Brown called it alarming for multiple reasons. And then he said, our society has more work to do, including Joe Tsai. It's 2022. It takes 10 minutes of time to see who these business owners, corporations, etc., who they're associated with and who they're doing business with, who they're affiliated with. And this really echoed uh, what Jalen Brown said when Phil Knight dumped Kyrie from Nike. And this is what he said. He said, since when does Nike care about ethics? Hilarious. I love it. I love that Jalen Brown is calling out the hypocrisy of these corporate actors. What I don't like is why the Just Sit Down Award also goes to Jalen Brown. Because I think he's doing absolutely the right thing as a union vice president and defending Kyrie from having to you know, go through the labors of Hercules in order to get back onto the court. I think he's right to call out the ownership and institutional hypocrisy in the sports world. I think he also needs to condemn the anti-Jewish bigotry of that video. I think as someone who is heading up a union, which depends upon the most maximum unity possible, you need to be against all forms of oppression. And so you don't hear Jalen Brown say things like, while that video does not represent the interests of our union to be united, it also can't be blown up to the point where Kyrie, you know, is basically in purgatory forever. I guess my point is, is that you can do both. You can do both. And I wish Jalen Brown did. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's show. Thank you so much to our guest, Isaac Solitaroff. The flick is called Bloodsport. Go to YouTube, check it out. Al Jazeera English, it's unbelievable. Thank you to everybody who supports the show. Thank you to the producer of this podcast, David Tigaboo. For everybody out there listening, please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace. Peace.